Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. It's the first Saturday of December. It's the first weekend of summer and it feels like it. It really does. Good morning, John Lamb. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. Yes, summer has arrived right on cue. The question is, what kind of a summer are we about to have? The systems, the weather systems that influence South Australia's weather, is changing rapidly. And very shortly, we'll talk to climatologist Darren Ray, and he'll take a look at the implications of those changing weather systems, particularly in terms of summer heat. And later in the program, Deb, if we've got time, we might have just a quick chat about protecting uh, particularly tomatoes and cucumbers and those kind of summer veggies uh, from uh, uh, hot weather. And if we also have time, I wouldn't mind taking a look with only three weeks to Christmas. Some colour in the garden, what you can put in maybe this weekend on uh, on Sunday afternoon after the heat disappears, uh, what you can put in the garden that will give you some lovely colour for Christmas. A bit of Christmas wow in the gardens, yes. And I have two brand new ABC Gardening Australia December issues to give away a little bit later in the program as well. And of course, we'd like your calls. So if you'd like to jump in the queue right now, uh, please do call on 1300 222 one three hundred triple two eight nine one, and you can text your comments through on zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. Good morning to Darren Ray, consulting climatologist here in South Australia. How are you going, Darren? Yeah, good. Thanks, John. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful weather, isn't it, at the moment to, to be out and about doing pre-Christmassy stuff. Before we take a look at our changing weather patterns. I wouldn't mind just a quick comment from you. During the week, you spent some time on Air Peninsula talking to fishermen, and I'm just wondering, what does a climatologist have to say to fishermen? Yeah, so um, yes, yeah, so I was over in Port Lincoln uh, Wednesday, Thursday morning. Um, yeah, talking talking to them over there, and and it's it's pretty related to the stuff that people have been hearing about on the show in terms of El Nino and La Nina and Indian Ocean dipole because the um, you know, and this is the stuff that gets me fascinated as a climatologist. Like, the, so the variability in the ocean patterns that um, come about through El, El Nino, La Nina, and Indian Ocean Dipole that happen over northern Australia and feed the moisture over the continent and impact us here in Adelaide trying to do our gardening. Um, they also impact the ocean currents that come down either side of the country and then come round and uh, some, some come round um, east East Australian coast and down around the bottom of Tasmania. And there's a Lewin current comes down the western coast and comes across the Bight. They meet up, um, you know, around Kangaroo Island and um, do some in- really interesting stuff that impacts the, uh, the fisheries for tuna fishermen. So, That's fascinating um, because um, yeah. I mean, we look about what's going to happen on land, but from a sea point of view, it's the air currents and uh, so the, the, the currents and, and having a big influence on uh, uh, the fishing. But let's now focus on gardening. Um, and I suppose uh, uh, it's been cloudy and wet and miserable and people want to forget about it. Uh, so for what are we about? About to receive. Yeah, um, so it's it's a really interesting picture at the moment. So we, we're talking about um, negative in the ocean dipole as the one of the major climate influences through late winter, spring, and we can say goodbye to that. So we can wave that into the rearview rear mirror. Um, so you know everything's looking off in terms of the ocean temperatures northwest of Australia have moved, moved back to neutral very very quickly. And that's all pretty typical. So, you know, it, negative ocean dipole events typically end um, around about mid-November. So, um, yeah, it's all all gone back to neutral from that perspective. Um, uh, entirely as expected. Um, the other interesting thing, John, is the, um, the La Nina event looks very much like it's peaked and um, is is really starting to be on its way out pretty quickly as well. So it could be less torrential rains down the east coast in the next few months. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 certainly great news from them. And um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, just looking through December, it does look like it'll, um, as as typically is in La Nina events, um, the first half of summer, um, so it's December, um, looks like it'll stay on the mild side. Um, but it does look like things will reverse very, very quickly as we go through going into the new year. So that's that's really the key thing is that. Uh, 
There's major climate influences that have been impacting us for quite a while in around Australia are uh, very much on their way out. All right, so let's start tracking through month by month. You mentioned uh, December. Uh, we'll start off on the mild side. Um, will they, uh, by, by say the end of the month, will we have average temperatures or is there something else that's happening? Yeah, it's um, so yeah, so December, I mean, it feels, feels very nice at the moment and warmer than average. Um, so that's just prob- this is prob- prob- I'm not, not going to disappoint too many people, but um, the so the first ten of so basically what we're seeing at the moment is the tropical activity. Um, so we've got the, those cool waters off the northwest of Australia, so not um, so we're not not getting that moisture feeding down like we were um, through spring, and um, but the tropical activity is centred away from Australia, and so we're getting these sort of butte butte conditions at the moment. Um, it does look like it'll reform around about the tenth or so and um so basically what that means is it, it um we'll get we'll get a little bit of a try a bit of a go at a weather system coming through around about the tenth um but it basically just reforms the, the air mass as well so we get cooler conditions milder conditions coming in from from about the tenth and that looks like it'll persist right through till prob through weeks uh through the sort of weeks two and three of the month another sort of change around about the 15th um, and then it looks like potentially something in the sort of days, couple of days ahead of Christmas. Um, so, but it all looks pretty mild. So it does look like we'll see temperatures back into the low twenties for all right. A, and best bet uh, for a fair bit. Yeah, and I suggest that, uh, or you suggest that best bet for rain is probably in that uh, middle of the month, the tenth to the fifteenth. But let's take a look at Christmas. <laughs> you may recall you boldly were suggesting that uh, we could be in for a wet Christmas, but it seems like uh, the weather systems have changed. So, are you going to change? <laughs> Yeah, the um, yeah, so it did look like there was a reasonable tropical signal um, coming through around about Christmas. Now that looks like it's going to it's reformed a little bit either side of Christmas. Um, so you know, as I mentioned, there's there's some hints of a signal coming through um, in that sort of you know mid month to you know a couple of days before Christmas. Um, now the interesting thing with those is the you know the the weather systems are there, but the moisture levels coming down around those systems aren't quite what they used to be. So, because the ocean temperatures aren't as warm, so that sort of negative ID influence has disappeared, and I'm seeing it in the in the weather patterns, the amount of moisture coming down with the system. So, um, the 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 weather patterns are looking similar, but the the moisture levels aren't there to produce the rain. So, drier is basically the key message in terms of. Um, uh, when the when the systems come through, so uh-huh. a fine day um, for Christmas. And yeah. Are you saying? Yeah, fi- um, yeah, yeah. So I think it's looking like an event coming through. Um, you know, around about the sort of twenty, the twenty twenty first, twenty second, something like that. Yes. So being into this clearing sort of situation by the look of it. Uh, now it's all a bit volatile, so you know I could get this could get this very wrong. But from what I'm seeing at the moment and what I'm seeing in the modelling. That's available, yeah. The system, system maybe around, around about the 21st, 22nd, will be in this clearing phase. So probably on the milder side of things, uh, warming up. Would you care to put um, a temperature on it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Come um, on, Darren. <laughs> well, I have to have a go, don't I? Um, uh, so I'm going to go, oh, I don't know. It's an interesting one. So the average for Christmas Day is 27 degrees. It's around about 27 degrees. So... Um, I'm, so I'm going to go something about the average. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go 27. Okay, it's going to be on the, you know, clearing, uh, you know, really clearing side, warming up. Um, so not super warm. Um, it'll be. It'll basically get warmer through to the New Year's. So. Okay. Well, we'll forgive you because it's a little bit difficult. But uh, you've been within a degree for the last, uh, uh, oh, as long as I can remember. Yeah, you've been a long giving time. forecasts well, for two, Christmas two years Day. Now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's move into January, if you don't yep. mind, because that's where I think a lot of gardeners they uh, they've put in either their tomatoes and cucumbers and things late, or they haven't even put them in, and they want to and with that forecast for December it's I think ideal planting weather but January the concern is heat and in particular in waves. Tell us, walk us through January. 
Yeah, so the um, that's that switch. Um, like we'll, we'll be seeing the you know, that sort of linear influence leaving pretty quickly. So it does switch pretty quickly as we go go towards the end of December, and uh, so very much on that warming. That last week of December, very much in this warming phase. Um, temperatures rising pretty steadily, and um, and sort of starting to tend a little bit more average to above average through January. Um, so yeah, it's very much of a bit of a switch in the patterns, and. Um, so there's, there's basically looking like very low risk of any, any sort of heat wave stuff through December, but it does increase a little bit more in January, um, particularly the weeks two and three of the month. So the, um, the modelling, they look quite warm, um, not, not, you know, not over the top. And so basically what I'm seeing is much more average, maybe a little bit warm than average conditions in January, February, well, at least until mid-February. Um, and with that sort of peak, looks like the hottest time in the summer out of the modelling is that weeks two and three of January. All right. And then, uh, say, uh, we get to the back end of January and move into February, temperatures there? Um, yeah, so it, it, is, it is easing off a little bit. So but it's just, just the pattern is just you know, lots, of, lots of days in the high 20s, low 30s, um, you know, getting, getting a, you know, a few days in the potentially in the high 30s um not looking not, not seeing really extreme heat um and it does ease off pretty quickly from that sort of third week of january and eases again from mid-february um so just looking at you know, like look, looking like a, a, a pretty mild sort of end of summer um in late february and and uh and start of autumn so yeah, I mean, very pleasant, beautiful, beautiful weather. Nothing too extreme. Bit, bit hot in second, second, third week of January. Um, not heaps of rainfall around. Um, so rainfall totals, um, you know, it's slightly tricky one for, slightly tricky one for December. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of systems tr- trying to do something through the middle of the month. Um, so it could end up around about average, maybe about 20, 25 millimeters. January looks a bit dry. February looks a bit dry. Um, but yeah, I mean, the great news is, um, you know, December's going to be going to be a little bit on the mild side, but no heat waves. January, you know, there's some risk of heat waves, but it's not super extreme. February's first half looking a bit warm, but second half gets milder pretty quickly into probably some autumnal feeling weather. So yeah, it's going to be feels like a pretty nice summer to be out gardening, John. Darren, from a gardening point of view, I think we couldn't get it much better because we've got to have hot weather, and I think uh, it concentrated in a small area is uh, something that people can uh, plant with confidence, knowing that if they have got the management skills to uh, protect their plants during that very, very hot weather, we then the back end of that is is just butte gardening weather. Thank you very much for your contribution this week. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, yeah, and I hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas and New Year. Well, we're going to wish you that too, but there, we've had a couple of questions on the text line. Uh, lots of people saying a cooler summer sounds nice, but um, um, just to... Uh, Andrew from Surrey Downs rang, just to put some of these to you, to say that the Tonga volcano will have a big impact on climate. Is that the case? Sorry, which... The Tonga volcano? Yes, yeah, I've been in a science conference this week, um, so Australian Meteorological and Oceanographic Science Conference, and there's a beautiful presentation on that. Um, the, the Tonga volcano, because it was underwater, it injected huge amounts of moisture into the uh, into the atmosphere. So there's a real spike in water vapour levels, and um, yeah, and basically, basically what they're saying is they they suspect that might have might have contributed contributed possibly to the development of La Nina this year um, for third third year in a row. Um, and but you know basically at this stage where you know we saw this massive water vapor spike, we're still trying to get our heads around. You know we need some do some more investigation into the um, into the the impacts that they had. Um, but yeah, it's it was really really interesting. Um, yeah, highlights this sort of some interesting questions around these sorts of volcanoes. Yeah. And, yeah, because it was underwater, it was um, yeah had a really interesting impact. Okay, excellent question. Thank you. Julie from Woodchester says, um, love Darren, never miss the show. Reckon he might say the worst heat for January is around 20th to 25th. Haven't got new moon calendar for 2023 yet, so just going on probable cycles. How close is Julie from Woodchester there, Darren? Yeah, I, I, I reckon the week before. Um, so, yeah, I reckon the week before is probably, so maybe a touch earlier than what Julie's suggesting maybe, but... Uh, yeah, but I mean, in terms of the, the very hottest days, it might not be far off the mark, around about the 20th, um, 20th of January. 
Okay, there you go. Yeah. And finally, uh, Ray from Colonel Light Gardens says, can you please ask the climatologist if he thinks that geoengineering has anything to do with climate variations? Now, does that mean, I'm not sure what that Ooh. includes, or whether that's any anything within your um, knowledge, Darren? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting question. Um, I'll, I'll try and keep it really brief. I mean, there's all sorts of different geoengineering that, that goes on. So basically, you know, I mean, in, in a sense, we've been geoengineering the planet by pumping huge amounts of carbon dioxide and methane into the atmosphere over the last couple of hundred years. Um, but there's, there's um, so there's things like rain seeding that goes on. So Tasmanian and um, Tasmanian water people do some cloud seeding to get more water into the hydro dams. Um, Chinese are pretty big on, on um, things like cloud seeding and, and uh, some other some other stuff. Um, so there's localised stuff going on. Um, and then there's, of course, there's a discussion about climate change, whether, you know, putting aerosols, straight, um, sulphur particles in the atmosphere to cool off the sun of the sun. Um, so mimicking the short-term effect of volcanoes, um, which have a cooling effect for a couple of years. So mimicking that on a long-term basis is a, whether that's a useful thing to do to mitigate against climate change um, is an interesting question. I'm not a huge fan of that, but... Um, yeah, um, that's all right. So yeah, Ray, Ray asked me to put the question. We've done it, so thanks very yes. much for that. And yeah, Clint, big, big area. Yeah, <laughs> Clint on the text line says, "Sunny and twenty six is my kind of weather. That's what I'd change my name to if I could." Sunny twenty six. <laughs> um, well, Darren, we'll have to see if it's going to be uh, warm um, and dry and 27 degrees on Christmas Day because we will be catching up with you in the first weekend of January. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us and you better get back to your chooks there. <laughs> Somebody's yeah. just about to lay an egg, I think. <laughs> I, think she, I think she's just laid by then. <laughs> well, look, Merry Christmas to you, Darren, and thank you so much for coming um, to join us at the first weekend of every month throughout 2022, yet again for another year with your wonderful advice. We really appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure, Deb. Thank you. Darren Ray, our independent climatologist, be back with us in January as always. Back to your Talkback Gardening calls now. So jump on the phone. Loads of lines free. The number is 1300 991. Talkback Gardening with Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Um, it's actually with Deb and John Lamb. It wouldn't be much talkback gardening if it was just me, that's for sure. A call in now with your talkback gardening questions on 1300 222 Mary from Cuddly Creek has texted through on 0467 saying, love the chooks, Darren <laughs> Ray. Yes, we did too. Michael's in Ross Trevor now. Michael, what's been attacking your plants? Well, I can only assume they're um, caterpillars. Good morning, Dad. Good morning, John. Uh, yeah, Darren Ray was very interesting this time. Um, I think it was mid to late winter, I phoned you about uh, Cape Honeysuckle that had been attacked and lost all its leaves. You advised me to put uh, seaweed extract on its uh, roots. Well, I've done that, and it's coming back. However, those same, I can only assume they're caterpillars, have attacked selective bushes through the garden. One being a lemon tree, dwarf in a pot, the other an ash out the front of the house, and another, I don't know what the bush is, but it's been attacked as well. They seem to be attacking the shrubs, trees, whatever, in, um, in, in clumps. Attacking one tree and then going on to another, then going on to another. All right. Are these little hairy what? browns or are they green? Green. Green, righto. Well, if... I've only managed to find one of them. Righto. If you touched it, does it wriggle vigorously? No, from memory. No, no, no. It just helps uh, if it's not a green. Uh, the what 
caterpillars that like to sort of feed in groups are the little hairy browns, but it's very late in the season for those. And uh, right. uh, the next one is to say, does it wriggle? Because if it's wriggle, it's a telltale sign of a light brown apple moth. And then when they're small, they graze the green off the leaf. Uh, but uh, once they get bigger, they make whole, lots of holes in it. So we need to take a look then at the damage to the leaf. Is it the tips or the uh, new growth, or is it the old growth that's being eaten? And uh, go it's ahead the, and give the me a description. Young leaves on the top, yep. and they get eaten from the tip down. Righto. And is it holes, or is it uh, are they sort of starting from the outside and and grazing in, or are they making holes? Yeah, they great. Starting from the outside. Yeah, righto. Okay, well, I just think you've got... Success, uh, success works very well on them. Yes, well, uh, you can't beat success. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, su- Success Ultra is the one to use. That's an improved right. version of success, and people are wondering what we're saying about success. It's uh, 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 just uh, uh, it's like an organic... Uh, uh, organism like a bacteria and, and they've just be able to make it into sort of uh, uh, in large quantities you spray it onto the plant uh, the caterpillars eat uh, the leaf and they take in the uh, material in the spray and it stops them from eating it doesn't kill them it's not like what i would call a toxic in- insecticide it has no effect on humans has no effect for virtually on anything except caterpillars and a few other little uh, critters but uh, uh, it's uh, i think probably one of the best things that's happened to uh, gardeners in terms of caterpillars is success ultra go on the line and have a look at it you'll find that uh, right. It's a rather, oh, I mean, not from your point of view, uh, um, Michael, I think you're pretty well au fait on that one. But for new gardeners, just uh, look at the background to success. And the reason I say put success over um, the Dipel, which is the other one, the organic one, which everybody recommends, um, it will only last about 12 hours before it's broken down because of sunlight. Whereas success is translaminar, goes into the leaf and remains active for <clears throat> probably uh, 10 to 12 days, maybe two weeks, and it doesn't get washed off like other uh, organic fertilizers, uh, uh, insecticides. Right, so you, yeah, my problem is trying to predict where they're going to attack next. <laughs> <laughs> You're suggesting spray everything. Oh, no, I'm not suggesting that. That's the last thing I'd ever suggest to anybody. No, I think be specific. So it's a good reason for getting up nice and early and going for a walk around your garden and look. And if you observe, you'll quick pickly, uh, quickly pick up the fact that, oh, there's uh, the tip starting to disappear. Uh, I better get onto that. Okay, as an offshoot from that question, one, the lemon tree has been attacked. It's in a it's in a pot. It's a dwarf thing, but it's uh, quite prolific. And and the leaves are only coming back. I suppose it's got about two thirds coverage at the moment of its normal foliage. I want to move it from where it is underneath a gladitia. It's getting too much shade into another spot. I assume that if I move it round about now, it's going to be hit with the sunlight. Will that? Will it be able to uh, withstand that, or should I uh, take a bit of care with it and shade it for a few months? Well, certainly, if you're going to do it now, make sure the soil is moist and try not to disturb the root system at all. Um, so right. no, I won't shift it out of the pot. I'll shift the entire thing. I'll shift the plant. Oh, okay. No, that's okay. You can move it uh, out of the sun or uh, you can put it in. So long as it gets it, good light, you can put it uh, so it's not getting direct light. But that's okay. And do it now. Well, it will be getting direct light. That's what I'm uh, concerned about. Okay. So if you're going from shade into uh, uh, very strong and hot sun, I would be suggesting for the first probably three or four weeks, any time where the temperature gets over about 32 degrees, put just put some uh, uh, an old towel over it, some shade cloth or whatever it is, but just protect the leaves uh, during the days when temperatures are above 32 while it reacclimatizes itself. Thanks for the call, Michael. Appreciate that. Deb um, on the text line asks, if caterpillars eat Success Ultra, are other creatures, e.g. birds and lizards that eat the caterpillars, going to be affected? No, not at all. Okay, there you go. Fiona is in Strathalbyn. Now, Fiona, you've got a lawn within a lawn. (laughs) Good morning. Yes, good morning. 
Yes, we do. We have a, a very large uh, lawn at the front of the house and in the middle of that lawn is another garden with a uh, medium-sized cherry tree and I've got a few daisies in that garden but it's full of weed and I've weeded that area. Um, I'm just wondering if I could put weed killer to stop the weeds. Would that hurt the cherry tree? Um, if you can spray the weeds, and these I presumably they're grassy weeds? And yeah, they're grassy, grassy weeds. weeds. There's a little bit of, oh, I'm not sure what it is. They're all sorts of little, yeah, quite sort of delicate weeds. They're not, they're not horrible weeds. They're quite easy to get rid of, yes. but they keep shooting up. Yes. Okay. And I wanted to, to, to mulch that area. Yeah, well, if you get the right kind of, uh, of uh, weed aside, you'll find that you can uh, burn that off very, very quickly. Uh, there are a number of relatively new weed asides, and all they do is just burn the top. They're based on oils, pine oil and uh, uh, geranium oil and things like that. And I think if you all you do is spray the targets and and whatever you do, it will just bowl them over. It removes the waxy coating on the uh, on the weeds, and they dehydrate probably within uh, 12 hours. So I'd, on uh, this afternoon would be a good time, or tomorrow morning, spray it with uh, one of those uh, quick-acting uh, oil-based uh, weedicides, and I think you'll find that they are very, very effective. So, John, I've, I've actually weeded this garden already, so it's sort of fairly bare. Do I need to let them grow back up again? Oh, yes, that's right. That, that, that's oh, okay. that, that's what they call a knockdown. Uh, there, oh, okay. there are chemicals which are what they call pre-emergence, but you need to know what you're doing. Um, and uh, that's a question for a, a, a probably a, a, a lawn authority. Oh, right. Okay. Okay, well, thanks for your help. Thanks. Thank you, Fiona. Uh, call back next time we have Stefan Palm on. He would be a full bottle on that from the lawn perspective. Michelle is in Fullerton. Um, you've got a bit of a stressed magnolia, Michelle. That is correct. Um, yes, I have a teddy bear magnolia here. Well, two. One, um, I've slowly watched them. Oh, I have three. One died. Second one, I'm slowly watching. Um, it looks like twigs now. And the third one is getting more and more twiggy. Um, I've moved the second one into a pot to try and save it and I'm thinking I'm going to move them both into pots now and move them somewhere else. They're along a western fence line, quite a narrow soil space. Um, Just for context, at the different spot in the garden at the back, they're three metres high and very lush, these magnolia teddy bears. So I'm just wondering... um, also, they're next to the fence line next to it has a big bush, big tree on the other side, and I'm thinking maybe it takes too much soil. There's a lot happening but there, uh, Michelle. So what we're saying is yeah. you've got uh, um, a background of a lush-looking teddy bears, but one is stressed, and you're thinking of moving that. Is that correct? Um, yeah, the very lush ones are in the back of the house. The ones at the front are very stressed. Right. We need to take a look at why. Um Teddy bear magnolias are very robust and uh, it takes a lot to stress a teddy bear. But uh, you can and the thing that's most likely to stress them is uh, uh, dryness. They Mm. need constant uh, soil which is moist right through summer and autumn. And if you allow it to dry out, you'll find that uh, uh, you'll lose the little hair roots on uh, this, uh, what's happening underneath the ground and they disappear and they don't go come back again very, very quickly. So um, I think if you... Uh, has it put on any new growth at all in the last sort of six months or is it just sort of buttoned off? Uh, it's, it, there's a tiny bud at the very top of uh, the worst-looking one yeah. <clears throat> and tiny... Um, Leaves at the top, um, at the end of the twigs. No, no. Well, I'm going to suggest suggest that you be very brave. You move it into a container, and having moved it into a container, you cut it back very hard. Probably more than 50% would be okay. So look at it and say, right, there's the main trunk. 
and yeah. there are some side branches, and what you want is more growth, particularly lower down. So yeah. uh, leave uh, the trunk, uh, and, and maybe it, it, uh, you cut it back a little bit, so you, you cut, reduce the, the height of it by a third, and any of the side branches, cut them back by two-thirds. Now, that's pretty mm. hard, but if yeah. you put it into a container with moist soil, uh, good potting mix, good quality potting mix. Use a uh, fertilizer, uh, not a fertilizer, a seaweed extract, probably on a uh, half stroll. No, use it full strength, but do that sort of monthly and use some of the soil by uh, uh, stimulants also and put those in on, on a monthly basis and put your teddy bear that's in the container out of full sun. Put it somewhere where it gets mm. maybe a bit of morning sun or else it gets good light. But keep it mm. out of the sun and if you want to put it back in the sun when it's recovered, it'll probably take six months to recover and you'll be surprised uh, how good and how lush it will look. Oh, that's excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks, Michelle, for calling in. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number. We're going to hear about Chris's asparagus next. And don't forget, I've got a couple of ABC Gardening Australia brand new December issues to give away a little bit later in the program, so stay tuned for that as well. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Chris is at Victor Harbour, grows one of my favourite veggies, asparagus. Welcome to the program, Chris. Thank you, Deb. Uh, Deb and John, I've got a couple of asparagus plants in and they're in their third year, so the first year that I'm actually able to get um, some reward for uh, growing these plants. And I'm probably getting about a dozen spears a week at the moment. Um, but what I want to know is it's ongoing care. So do I just keep taking spears until it stops producing, or do I at one stage let it let it go and grow into a fern so that it gets energy back or or whatever it needs? Whatever you do, don't keep picking the spears. Right. The width of the spears is your guide. When they come out, they're nice and what I'd call fat. And maybe yep. they'd probably be two centimetres wide. Um, mm-hmm. And so long as they come out nice and fat, uh, keep on picking. Then you'll find as the season progresses, they're getting thinner and thinner. At that mm-hmm. stage, stop harvesting and let the spears turn into uh, nice stalks with ferny foliage. Mm-hmm. And look after that. And the more you look after that uh, without going overboard, uh, you'll find that they uh, are, are the things that will generate uh, spears for next season. And it's most mm-hmm. important. If you keep on taking the spears, you won't have much next year. It'll be a weak plant. So, and, and in terms of not over-fertilizing, get yourself a bag of uh, cow manure and mulch mm-hmm. it, but mulch it with the cow manure. Have a layer of probably uh, uh, two or three centimeters of mulch over that area, and it's just mm-hmm. soft and slow uh, nutrient to the plant, and just mm-hmm. keep it just moist over the summer and uh, uh, as we move into autumn. Uh, if it's mm-hmm. we're uh, um, getting a dry autumn, uh, just keep it uh, moist and early in autumn, and then re- withdraw the water, and you'll find that the ferns will change colour from green mm-hmm. to a nice bronzy colour. And wait until they have completely gone bronze, and now we're at the back end of autumn. You can cut the ferns back very hard at that stage, but not before. Okay. If you remove the the ferns too early, you don't get the big benefit of the build-up of energy into the root system. Yeah, beautiful. So I can keep eating them at this stage, but until they um, start to uh, have thin spears. Sounds like you've probably got some pretty good soil there. Yeah, yes, yes. I've built it up. We're actually in sand, but I've built it up over the years. So, yeah. Uh, That's nice to hear. Okay, that's beautiful. Wonderful. And keep Thanks. enjoying it, Chris. <coughs> I shall indeed. Yum. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for calling. Uh, Ellen is in Hillcrest. Now, Ellen, you've got a passion fruit plant, but it's not fruiting or flowering. No, unfortunately. And my neighbour believes it might have a virus. But it's really flourished in terms of its leaf and... It's flourishing, but it's not flowering or fruiting at all. And the few fruit that do appear, 
are hollow. And my neighbour suggests I pull it out and replace it. Do you think that's a good idea? Oh, no, not yet. Uh, I think you've still got the potential for lots of fruit. Um, The person that said it's got virus, you only know if it's got virus, if it's got fruit. And when you cut the fruit open, there's no little pop, there's no pulp inside. That's the result of the virus. But if you're not getting flowers and fruit, uh, <laughs> then you can't say it's got virus. Um, I would presume that if it's uh, growing, and uh, it's growing very, very vigorously. Yes, it is. It it's is. in Righto. a lovely aspect. Righto. Well, it's the little story about the hormones again, isn't it? Um, because it's growing vigorously, it's got hormones for growth, and so long as it's got too much hormone in it for growth, you won't get flowers and fruit. So back off on the fertiliser. Uh, don't overwater it, but don't let it dry out during summer. Uh, so mulch it, uh, but no, I wouldn't be putting on any fertiliser at all. And the most important thing is grab the hedge clippers and give it a clipping all over. Or if you're, uh, depending on the size of it, okay. it would be uh, probably better if you could get your secateurs and take the tip out of every branch. You've got probably found that there's little branches everywhere. And if you take the tips out of it, it slows it down no end. And what you do, taking the tips off, it removes a lot of the growth hormones and it's got to really work hard to put that back again. And in the meantime, it's changed from the growth hormones and the uh, uh, flowering and fruiting hormones sort of have an opportunity to build up, and away you go. I would suggest if you do that now, next autumn, you might start to see a few flowers. Oh, how wonderful. I'd just like to make a big shout-out to everyone on International Day of Disability too. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Ellen. That's nice. And gardening is my therapy. I have bipolar and post-traumatic shock disorder, and my garden is my sanctuary. I absolutely adore it, and I've even taken over the birch. It is just... And my next-door neighbour says to me, they wish I had their birds because <laughs> they're on the corner block. <laughs> That's lovely, because I think, as you say, it's just wonderful therapy. People that are thinking of uh, establishing gardens for, uh, uh, with, with, for handicapped people, when you have a raised bed, make sure it's at the sitting height so you can, uh, and, and it, the, the, the edge of your raised garden beds are thick enough to sit on. There are so many people that can actually just sit and, you know, they, they can work sideways with things and all just touch their plants. But uh, to be able to get out of the garden. So many, yeah, and so having. many beautiful scented plants out there and textured plants that people can play with. That's right. So either put seats in the garden so you can sit, but often I think uh, having raised garden beds with uh, uh, they're thick enough and and at the right height to be able to sit on, you can sit there and enjoy the garden, do nothing, or else you can just mess around in the garden. And Ellen, nature is nurture, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely wonderful. And when I'm not working in the garden, I can just sit there and enjoy all the delights and watch the insects and exactly. butterflies. And it's absolutely delightful. Oh, lovely, Ellen. Well, thanks for marking International Day um, for people with disability with us this morning. Really appreciate your call. My pleasure. Have a lovely day. Thanks. Same to you, Ellen. Lovely to hear from you. Um, Deborah is in Port Victoria, a town I love very much indeed. Hello to everyone in Port Victoria. You've got the most gorgeous hall there, Deborah. But let's talk about your garden. Uh, what's what's the story with the tree you've got there? Um, so good morning. Um, we have a, I think it's Amelia Asderac. Yep. Um, it's about fifty years old. Um, sandy soil, um, but over the last four years the all the foliage has yellowed right off um, and doesn't seem to um, be flourishing uh, we've just given it a really good prune um, but the new growth that started is still not flourishing um, they're quite yellow leaves um, when you have a look at the new growth it looks like um, 
tiny little blisters that will sort of pop under the leaf and um, the perimeter of the leaves are, are burnt. Right, and you've we're got wondering, a... can we save our tree? Well, all things are possible, but you're <laughs> going to have a bit of a challenge there, I think, Deb. Um, the yep. question, the, I, I like to ask a question just to confirm my thoughts or get uh, an answer in my head. Uh, the leaves that drop off, do they drop off in autumn or in springtime, late spring? Um, no, they usually do lose their leaves in autumn, um, but when, when it's time for the new foliage to come through, it's just not doing it. All right. A rule of yeah. thumb, and I don't think this is the answer to, from your point of view, Deb. Uh, a rule of thumb, if it's dropping leaves in autumn, it's probably uh, dry roots. And if it's dropping leaves in springtime, it's wet food, wet roots. Um, and I think probably you mentioned that the new growth is yellow. Uh, could it be that uh, there's a little bit too much moisture coming in, uh, particularly in that late winter, early spring period? Well, we... <laughs> Um, it, it, it's near a septic, which it always has been. Um, All right, I need to move on. So uh, we uh, let, let's assume that it could be it's wet feet, and only you will know that. And if it's wet uh, in that early spring period, uh, you'll get uh, uh, roots which are not very vigorous. And some of the si symptoms of uh, wet feet is yellow leaves when they come out, and it's because uh, uh, the plant can't take up the enough iron. And that brings us to the next thing. It could be you've got a trace element deficiency, uh, iron or manganese. Uh, a mag uh, well, anyway, uh, let's come back to the iron. It's most likely to be iron. And I would suggest yeah. to get some iron chelates and make holes in the ground. Uh, get about uh, 10 holes around the drip ring of the tree and put probably uh, mix up uh, your uh, uh, iron chelates with sand. So you've got a couple of uh, uh, kilograms of, of sand enriched with iron chelates and put uh, uh, half a cupful in about 10 holes, which are so you're burying the iron chelates about 10 or 15 centimetres below the surface. That way, if you've got alkaline soil, they won't uh, get uh, the, the iron won't become unavailable. The roots will be able to get in and get it. So I think if you do that, and then at this stage I would be uh, probably getting a good quality uh, fertilizer, uh, one with a good balance of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash, and trace elements. And I'd be using a manufactured one because of the blend and the mixture is more likely to be correct uh, for what you want. Uh, spread that underneath the tree, particularly around the drip ring, and water that in well so that you wash that fertiliser in uh, to where the roots are or should be, which is about that uh, uh, probably 10 to 20 centimetres below the surface. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Deborah. Love to Port Victoria and all within her. Doug's in O'Halloran Hill. Doug, you would like to transplant a passion fruit. and um, Tell us about it. Well, I'd like to try. I've heard it's incredibly difficult. So I'm just wondering if there's any tips or if it's even possible. It's been in the ground for about two, two and a half years now and has really taken off and overwhelmed the area that it's growing in. So I was hoping I could move it to a uh, better location. You can do it and it'll never grow as well as if it was left alone. So oh. um, my suggestion would be that you... Um, get your fruit off at this season, but in the meantime, get a new passion fruit established. And okay. if you put in another one now, it'll have fruit next year. And uh, yeah, no matter what you do, how careful you are, it sets it back and it's just not quite the same. Well, that's disappointing, but thank you anyway. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Um, being told something you don't want to hear when you ring up for Talkback Gardening is par a, pop a possible outcome. Sorry about that. Just coming back to the whole issue of um, asparagus, Peter from Morfitt Vale, I've just lost him again there. 
Sorry, says. Um, you said leave all, uh, leave one, uh, one yes. leave one fern there. No, no, no. One fern will only produce a small amount of root system. Leave all the ferns there. Uh, just let the spears grow, and if you leave them alone, they'll grow into ferns. And the more stems and ferns you've got, the more the leaves are interacting with the sunlight, and the sunlight gives interacts with the chlorophyll and gives the plant energy, and it goes down and stores it into the root system, and next spring, wonderful asparagus. Okay, and Novice Kath says, how do you eat asparagus? Well, there are lots of ways you can cook it. I'm I'm not a very good cook, so I go the easy way. I pop mine on a um, bit of, what do you call it, baking paper with some olive oil, um, some salt and some pepper, and then when it's cooked, I roast it in the oven, just on a, you know, but somewhere uh, between 150 and 180, and a squeeze of lemon at the end. I spent Delicious. the last week over in Melbourne catching up with my two sisters, and in particular uh, my son and uh, son, uh, daughter-in-law, and she is, uh, and two children, of course, our grandchildren. <laughs> but she is the most magnificent cook. Uh, man, we had asparagus in one of the meals, and uh, how do, how was that cooked? Oh, I don't know. I just <laughs> ate it. It was delicious. <laughs> and uh, one meal we. we had uh, sprouts. I couldn't believe. I said, oh, you're not going to sort of give us sprouts, you know, common old ho-hum sprouts. And what she'd done with the sprouts was nobody's business. She'd sort of you put it in a slicer and sliced it up, and, and uh, the sauces, I'm not too sure what it was. Uh, uh, is it Holbrook's, uh, you know, that old-fashioned Holbrook's... Uh, Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire sauce, oh, yeah. I love a bit of Worcestershire, my favourite condiment. Uh, yeah, and then my, my son, uh, and the whole reason is, uh, for the last three years, I haven't been able to go across, and I I go across and uh, they put up the Christmas tree on the Sunday and we have a lovely turkey and it was Aww. the first time we did it for some time and my son Jeffrey is the most magnificent chef you could imagine and what he did to that turkey was brilliant and it was uh, just beautiful, beautiful. Aww, that's so great. thank you if you're listening Jeffrey and Yvonne <laughs> Thank you very much. If you would like to grab John, we've got a few minutes left on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. John, you wanted to talk about the importance of this warm weather. We haven't been used to it. What do we need to think about coming into it? Well, okay, I think many people put their uh, tomatoes and cucumbers and their veggies and probably their flowers in a little bit later. And so as we get into warmer weather, they're going to grow very, very vigorously. And I think be careful. Don't oh, if you want your tomatoes to grow quickly and your cues and zucchinis, uh, be careful with the fertilizer. Don't over fertilize because what you'll do is get lots and lots of leaves. You won't get the fruit or the flowers that you're looking for. So back off on the fertilizer um, and then uh, take on board what Darren is saying uh, that during January is quite likely we'll go from sort of warm to sort of uh, you know low 30s temperatures and then it'll spike and we're going to get spikes, not waves, which is good, but you'll need to perhaps protect your plants and the best way of uh, protecting plants, of course, is with shade, shade cloth. cloth. Shade cloth. More about that. But buy your shade cloth now because you know, a couple of years ago, people sort of didn't take much notice of what I was saying, went in after Christmas. And, of course, uh, they'd sold out a shade cloth and the uh, factories don't uh, reappear until the end of January. So that's important. The other point is many people have sprayed their citrus with kale and clay. Kale and clay is used by fruit and vegetable growers commercially as a sunscreen. So <laughs> if you get, you've got some kale and clay left over and you've got your tomato plants and you've got the hot weather coming along, spray them with kale and clay. Put it on maybe about half strength uh, recommended, otherwise you'll have uh, very, very wide bushes. But it'll do no harm and do a lot of good and protect your plants during that hot, hot weather. There you go. Time to get that shade cloth happening. Time for me to give away a couple of ABC Gardening Australia December magazines. If you haven't won anything from the station here in the last month, call now, one 800 Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Lynn on the text line says, raw asparagus straight from the garden. Wonderful. That's right. You don't even have to cook it at all. It's delicious. Leanne is in Clemsig. Now, Leanne, you need to prune your locust tree. 
Yes, it's um, grown out of control after it's just fruited now. Um, just wondering, when do I discourage growth by pruning? Well, at the time to prune it is almost immediately after it's finished uh, fruiting. So now would be a good time, <laughs> maybe not this weekend, but next weekend uh, or very, very soon is the time to do it. And if you're getting very, uh, you cut it back and as you get more sort of strong growth, try and thin yeah. out the growth so that you don't have a witch's broom effect where you've cut it, uh, but you might yeah. have one or two branches and let them sort of grow until they're about 40 centimetres long and then tie them down horizontally. And in the longest, strongest branches, if you tie them horizontally, you don't have yep. to prune, but you'll find it'll slow it in no end. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's really cool. But no, that'd be great. They're just shading my solar panels now, so it's time for them to go to get a good prune. So thanks very much for that. I'll do it next weekend. Thanks, Leanne. Well, we do live Thank in Radelaide, you. so there you go. Nice to have a bit of <laughs> radical advice there. Uh, congratulations to Christine from Port Hughes and Mary from Parkholm, our magazine winners today. Let's go over to York Peninsula. Betty, you've got an apricot tree, but there's a bit of rust on your fruit. Well, I, th- I think it is. Oh, good morning, John and Deb. Uh, I, it's, it's, a str- it's like freckles. And I can scratch them off if they're, you know, not, if they're just a, I don't know. Anyway, um, the rest of it, then it sort of clusters up into a big mucky looking thing. I don't know what it is. Right. Look, you've, uh, I think it was Colette very early in the program was talking about shot hole, little holes in the leaves of stone fruits. And what you've got is the, uh, the cousin of shot hole, which is freckle. And it really does affect the apricots. It's just unsightly, doesn't change the taste of the plant at all. But if you get lots of freckles, it's not very, very nice. And, and uh, mm. if they fright, if you've got a, a very bad a, a, attack of it then you, or infestation of it, you would find that uh, the skin might be pretty sort of un, unpalatable. But, okay, you can do nothing about now. Uh, enjoy your apricots if you can. Uh, and then in autumn, as the leaves start to fall, when 20% of the leaves are fallen, spray the tree very thoroughly with a copper spray. Liquid copper is probably the best of the copper sprays. And try and pick up the leaves as well. And uh, don't put them in your compost. Uh, put them in the green waste bin and they'll get cooked by uh, uh, the commercial people. Thanks, Betty, for the call. We're just about out of time on Talkback Gardening this morning. Sorry to all of the callers that we couldn't get to this morning. Pauline from Aberfoyle Park says, might have to get a cooking segment by <laughs> John's sister. And Jilly of Marion says, your recollections of your stay with your son and family uh, was beautiful. So pleased you're living so fully with such joy. Family times are so valuable. Yes, and uh, I just yeah, it's just so valuable. And as I age, <laughs> and I'm not that young anymore, uh, to be able to have that opportunity with grandchildren is wonderful. And so COVID just stopped it. I've got a son over in Perth, and I haven't seen that family for three years. Yeah. I'm looking forward to changes there. Well, I think we might have to save colour for the garden till next week, John, because I ha- I want to pose a question to you before you disappear, which is what is the best thing that's happened to you in 2022? The best thing, I think, is uh, uh, probably being able to go back and visit my grandchildren after such a wonderful time. Uh, The time just disappears so quickly, and to be able to share that time uh, is just... uh, I can't find a word that that just sort of really sort of says uh, how much I appreciate it. Anyway, until next week, good gardening.